When you are a person people can trust, they will call upon you, love to be around you, and work with you. A leader's skills take him to people, but his character brings people to him. Israel Moore Ayavor. Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast. I am your ever-loving host, Henry Cameron Allen. And today I have a very special guest, Dr. Daryl Stickle, and he is the CEO of Trust Unlimited. He has his PhD from Duke University in building trust in hostile environments. Is that right? It is, yeah, absolutely. Was that your and own? Just, was that your own major that you sort of? Or, or... Well, it was in business. It was in organizational behavior, but uh, that was the topic that I chose. So, and just call me Daryl. I'm okay, <laughs> Daryl. Yeah, Henry. It's it's great to meet you. I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm excited to get into this conversation with you about trust. You you are a renowned expert on the topic and in a time when it is elusive at best yeah this is this is a really important conversation to have so welcome thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be with you and with your listeners great so one of the things that i've started doing in in this fourth season is i'm asking my co-hosts uh, a question at the beginning of the episode or somewhere in the episode. I feel compelled to ask you this at the beginning, just as we're getting to know you. Um, but then plant the seed in your mind that at the end of the episode, you will leave a question for the next guest. Okay. This question uh, was asked by Angela Bushman, who's a, a coach as well. And, um, and, and her question for you is, what are you doing to cultivate joy in your life on a regular basis? Oh, that's a really good question. Wow. That puts a lot of pressure on me to figure out a good question for the next <laughs> guest. <laughs> well, that's why I say we'll wait till the end of the episode. Then you yeah. Think about it. So, uh, I believe that you know, my, my son actually made this great comment to me. He's my sons are 21 and 18 and they're the center of my world. And my son said, dad, I've realized that happiness is not something you pursue. It's something you realize you have. And for me, I believe that happiness comes from understanding what are the things that I have control over that bring me joy. And how do I do just a little bit more of that? And so um, I have a positive impact in the world and I love the work that I do. Um, I really get joy from seeing people thrive and the feedback I get after people have sort of seen my model and used it and, and improved their relationships, improved their life. That gives me a great deal of satisfaction and, and a feeling of that I'm having an impact, a positive impact in the world. And that's, you know, aside from, from that, I, I try to be a good dad. I, I love my sons. I love being a father. Um, and so, you know, having those great moments with my sons, those are the sort of two places where I drive the most joy from. Beautiful. That's a great answer. 
to a tough question because it's, yeah. it's elusive. Like I said, um, you know, I can relate too to the the being a father is the center of it all. Um, sadly, I, I lost my son uh, to brain cancer when he was thirteen, about fourteen years ago, and he was my only child. Wow! And when that sense of joy is plucked out of the equation through no fault or yeah. control uh, of, of anyone. I, uh, it, it really, the question of joy really, really sat heavy with me for a very, very long time. And like I said, that was 14 years ago that he left the planet oh. longer than he was on it. Right. right. That is the pivotal sort of shift in my in my perspective. And I was able to reconnect with my joy. I for 14 years, I've been saying my joy left with Cameron. Right. I and don't know if I could handle that. I, I still don't know if I can handle that. I mean, it's a daily exercise in choice making, you know, and so, yeah. So, so you're right. We, we interpret the world through stories and it's how it's the story we tell that, that helps shape how we approach the world. Right. I just want to, how is it for you? Cause I tell stories about my sons. Is that yeah. okay for you? Or does it trigger? No, it's great. I love it. I love it. Okay. It, it is. It's a frequency that I recognize. It's a frequency that I love. And okay. the realization for me recently was that my joy never actually left. Okay. It just you still have those. It yeah. It's form, you know, that I don't believe in death anymore. It's an illusion, right? Energy can't be created. It can't be destroyed. It just transmutes. And so it's up to us who are left behind to try and figure out how that energy has transformed. Where does it live now? Right. And my measuring stick of everything else is that moment. What's the worst that could happen to me? Well, guess what? It's happened. Right. Everything else is pretty small potatoes comparatively. Yeah. And so that that give, that brings with it a, a, a particular flavor of of living and appreciating the moment yeah. every moment that you have and this is why i'm public with it this is why even if it is triggering for me on a particular day i talk about it because anybody who has kids that's your greatest fear it's your greatest fear yeah certainly yeah and uh and and very interesting side note is that when i was eight years old uh our teacher had us do a, a a homework assignment a brief paragraph entitled what is your greatest fear and i was sitting at my desk at home and i was looking at a blank sheet of paper and i was thinking why would anyone ask a child to focus on their fear right Right. And I wasn't a fearful child. I wasn't afraid of a monster under the bed or in the closet or afraid of the dark or dogs or robbers or being kidnapped or anything. I was a pretty secure kid. And the only thing that I could think of to write this paragraph about 
was outliving my children. Right. At eight years old, call it a premonition. Wow. Um, but what that gave me later in life, and my father saved that that little paragraph, that homework, he saved everything, um, as fathers do. Right. <laughs> and then they send it to you in a big packet when you're 25. Um I I reconnected with that and and understood that that fear that I had carried with me throughout my childhood and throughout Cameron's life had been resolved. I had faced right. fear and gotten through it and gotten past it. Is it easy? No, it will never be easy, but it does get easier. There are some things that time right. does not heal. And child loss is one of those things that time does not. Yeah. But I do believe that grief can be transformative. Grief can be acted upon and channeled into good works. Yeah. In service yeah. to humanity. And so we're very much alike, brother, in that sense that that we find our our joy and our happiness in the ability of to to sit back and watch people transform right with the guidance perhaps that we're that we're offering a guy wire is a tensioned cable that is designed to enhance the stability of a freestanding structure think of me as your guy wire in terms of life skills mentoring, you're perfectly capable of standing stably on your own two feet. But I'm a cable that can enhance your stability. I'm available for individual or couples counseling, life skills mentorship, child loss grief support, LGBTQ plus support. I can also officiate weddings, end of life ceremonies, baby namings, invocations, or whatever guidance you may need. I serve all genders, all ages. Sessions are affordable, discreet, private, and conducted online. Find me at guy-wire.org. Book your appointment today. Yeah, that's that's a powerful story. I just want to acknowledge the strength that you have for continuing to thrive. And you know, one of the sayings that I have is is that sometimes a hard road's a good teacher. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's just a hard road, right? But but sometimes there are lessons we can take from it that enrich us and those around us for the rest of our lives. And, you know, we have the choice about how we respond to these traumatic events. Okay. Well, and, and, and I, I was reflecting on your book, uh, Building Trust, Right. It's about, it's about leadership, right? It's it's about exceptional leadership in an, an uncertain world, which is the subtitle. And I I was thinking about that. And I do believe that that we have this capacity to build uh to build trust. Talk a yes. little bit about where that came from in you, where that arose in you based on your biography. Uh, right. 
where was that sort of pivotal moment that you thought this is why I'm here and you knew it? So there, it was a long journey. Um, I grew up in a small town in Northern Canada, pretty remote, uh, fairly isolated. There's about 12 or 13,000 people that lived there. Uh, we were about an hour from the next really small community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, there was a sense that you helped one another, a sense of community that, that we had to pull together. And, uh, so you didn't just drive by somebody who was stranded on the side of the road. You, you stopped and helped. And if your neighbor needed help, you helped. And I grew up believing that, you know, it was the responsibility of the strong to protect the weak. And that if you could help people, you should. Um, and I, I'm legally blind. Um, I was, I've been visually impaired my whole life, but it's just something that's gotten progressively worse. Mm. And so as a young man, I realized that there were a lot of career paths that weren't open to me. Um, you know, I probably wasn't going to be a, an airline pilot or a surgeon or a spy or any of those things. Right. Um, and I was going to have to be able to think for a living. Um, and that was my, my path forward. And I did well in school and, um, you know, was, was bright ish. Um, and then when I was 17, I was playing junior hockey and I got attacked by a fan with a club Moment. and he shattered my helmet, uh, beat me unconscious. Uh, and then one of the, one of my teammates pulled me out of the crowd cause I was half in the crowd, yeah. uh, in, through a gap in the glass and one of their players grabbed me and started to beat the living tar out of me. Um, according to one of my teammates, I, I stopped breathing three times on the way to the hospital. Um, ended up with a profound concussion. Um, what triggered that kind of a response? Was it just the competitive thrill and passion of the game? or, or, or... It's a big part of it. We were in Fort Nelson, an even smaller, more northerly community. We were beating the home team. Uh, the game had gotten rough. Um, we were a younger team. So we were a juvenile team playing in a junior league. So we were 17 and 18 year olds playing against guys up to 21. And we were, we were beating them and they, they started to get progressively more aggressive to try to intimidate us to try to, we had fewer players than they did. So they were trying to fight us out of the game. Um, and, you know, oddly, I had this moment after the second period, we're standing outside the glass, getting ready to go back on the ice after the ice had been cleaned. And I turned to one of my teammates and I said, I'm not going to make it out of here. They're going to carry me out of here on a stretcher. I just knew yeah. that something was going to happen. And he said, don't talk like that. You're freaking me out. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not making it out of here on my feet. And, um, so the band standing near the boards, you know, there's a gap in the glass where the gate was and, and there was a break in the play. I was standing too close and he reached out and grabbed me. And, um, and so I, you know, it was 1984. We didn't know much about concussions. And so I went from being on the honor roll to having the attention span of a fruit fly. And all of my aspirations 
felt shattered and I felt helpless and hopeless. And it provoked in me a sense of real empathy for others an understanding of what it was like to struggle. Um, an understanding of what it felt like to, to be in pain and not be able to do anything about it. Um, and so I, I eventually, you know, I tried to go to college. Uh, I failed everything. Um, and then, uh, transferred to the university of Victoria, um, which they were, they let me in on a medical exemption. Um, but I'd be sitting on the bus on the way to school, you know, on, on a transit bus and someone would sit down next to me and say, I'm just really having a hard time. And so for some reason, people just started opening up to me and there was something about me and the way I carried myself that made people feel safe. And I wanted to understand what that was. And so, um, I started studying psychology. I started working with families in crisis, troubled teens, working on crisis lines, honing those skills. And it was a, a journey that eventually took me to uh, working in public administration, working in native land claims in British Columbia. Mm. And they would ask me these deep philosophical questions like what is self-government or what will the province look like 50 years after claims are settled? The last question they asked me is, how do we convince a group of people we've shafted for over 100 years they should trust us? Right. And I thought, man, that's a good question. That's a heavy one. It's heavy. And it, it goes to those long-term disputes that seem to never resolve themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And why are they so resilient? And, and why do we have such a hard time getting along sometimes? And so I went to Duke, and that's what I did my doctoral thesis on. Wow. So you went from from not being an effective student in in a small part of Canada, right? The Duke University, sort of creating your own path. Yeah, yeah, rare and and wonderful. Yeah, it was quite a journey. You know, I was I was definitely a lost traveler for a while, Henry. Yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, the odd thing, like, it all seems to make sense in retrospect. I think that's Kierkegaard, right? Life makes sense looking backwards, okay. but it has to be lived moving forward. Sure. And so when I got to Duke, there were two of the world's leading academic experts on trust who had both, one arrived the year I did, the other one arrived the year after I did. And they were on my committee. And when I finished, they sat me down and they said, you know, when you first came to us, and said, here's my thesis topic. We said, to, we had a conversation with each other and we said, it's too big, it's too complex. He'll never solve it. We'll give him six months. He'll come crawling back to us and the, we'll let him chisel off a little piece of this and that'll be his thesis. <laughs> said, six months in, you were so far beyond us, we couldn't help anymore. All we could do is sit and watch. And said, and here we are. We think you've solved it. So it feels almost like it was meant to be. And that's taken you now all over the world and, and sharing this uh, amazing message that it is solvable. It is. Yeah. Trust building is a skill. We, we all have the ability to build trust. Some are just better than others. Right? Well, that's the whole premise of life skills education. That's why I'm talking about it, right? Yeah. Every single human, 8 billion now on the planet 
we all are learning the same skills. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what background you come from or the color of your skin or your culture, your economics. We yeah. are learning exactly the same skills. And trust is an essential universal life skill. Yeah. It's not a question of whether or not we're learning these skills. It's how well are we learning them and from whom? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess part of the frustration I have is that there's a lot of people talking about trust and how important it is and how, how scarce it's becoming. There's so few people talking about how to actually build it, right. what to do about it. So, and that's what I've been doing for the last 30 years. That's amazing. And, and in square one, first step on that road. Yeah. For those listeners out there who are struggling, and there are so many different layers of trust. There's trust in government. There's trust in your relationship personally. There's trust in your employer. There's trust in the fact that we are all going to leave our bodies at some point and how to right. that, right? All of these things and trusting yourself. I, I, I talk about this a lot, that trust is the foundation of every thing it's the foundation of every relationship you will ever have right yeah and and so part of the struggle we see is this this profound lack of awareness right because 95 percent of people believe they're more trustworthy than average mm. and that's not just statistically impossible sorry that's my guide dog drake in the background i have so, a guide dog well he's an assistance dog service okay dog. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah, I live with disabilities too. What's your What's your dog's name? Drake. Drake. Mine's Flat Stanley. Flat Stanley, nice. Flat Stanley, he's awesome. So Drake has this sort of amazing ability to build positive relationships wherever we go. Yeah. Um, and he's got such a positive story of the world. You know, if we all had his brain chemistry, we'd be much better off. Lad Stanley too. I mean, what yeah. is it about about our assistance dogs? They 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 have this magic, and that's something that cannot be taught. <clears throat> something that they have to be born with, right? But that goes for everything. That goes for every one of us. Yeah, animal or any living being. Absolutely. Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. Part of the challenge that, like I said, everyone believes that they're trustworthy, right? more trustworthy than average. And the challenge that that presents us is that if you and I are having a problem, you assume it's me. 
right? And and so I talk so often with leaders who will say, yeah, my people are struggling with this. And in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, so are you. And, and you're part of that equation, but you're not there yet. All right, we'll get there. Um, and so that's, you know, we have this lack of awareness about who we trust and how much we trust them. Because um, I ask that question, I'll say, who do you trust? And I get these close, tight personal relationships, right? Best friend, spouse, sibling, right. parents. Um, Children. Yeah. And then... I'll flip the question. I'll say, who trusts you? And I get this really long pause. And then people say, well, how would I know? Like, how do I know if somebody trusts me or not? And the reality is we trust people all the time, right? And the research is pretty clear that communities with higher trust levels actually thrive compared to others. Um, They're better in terms of developing socioeconomics. They're, you know, there's better engagement. There's, there's just life is better. And when we go to a restaurant, we get in a car, we get on an airplane, we, we're trusting systems and people. And so it's the social lubricant that allows society to function. And if we want to know who trusts us, well, then we need to know what trust is, right? And trust is the willingness to make ourselves vulnerable when we can't completely predict how someone's going to behave. And... So if we want to know if someone trusts us, we ask ourselves, how can they make themselves vulnerable to me? And then do they? And so you and I have been having this exchange and you tell me this, the powerful story about your son and the loss that you suffered. And I reciprocate by telling you the story about some of the struggles and, and travails that I've had. And, and we start to build this positive rapport, this trusting relationship that evolves and fairly quickly and so you know we start by i start by trying to raise awareness and trying to help people move from wherever they are on the continuum of their ability to build trust to a better place and so you know we all have the ability to build trust some are better than others i actually believe that there are 10 levers we can pull Mm. and those who aren't very good have a lever and they pull it over and over and over again. Just hope that it works. Those who are better have multiple levers. Those who are really good have multiple levers and they know when to pull which one. And so my aspiration is to show people the levers, help them understand how to pull those levers. And over time, they start to gain a better sense of where the gaps are, how to fill those spaces. So that's, that's my life's work. It's amazing. So what do you, what's your perspective then on social media Mm. and, and youth? Because, you know, in a lot of the young people that I work with and have interviewed, when I ask them, who taught you life skills, who taught you? the proficiency of life skills that you have today. I would say that 98% did not say their parents. Right. They said, first, they say social media. Right. They say they go to YouTube or they go to TikTok or they go to, you know, Google and they, they look it up. 
the second one is from their environment, just being observers. Right. And also their peers who are also working at a low proficiency. So it's right. sort of a self-perpetuating <laughs> prophecy, you know. Um, how how do you know, and, and of course with with government administrations around the world, not just in America and Canada, the issue of trust is always coming up. Yeah. And and so when you're starting with a foundation uh that is already very, very shaken and damaged, how do you start relaying the the brickwork and and building rebuilding that foundation of trust in the world around you? Right. So uh great question, complex question. Um uh for me it starts by understanding what trust is and how it works and raising people's awareness uh creating a shared vocabulary and so i believe that when we're deciding to trust someone we ask ourselves two fundamental questions and the first one is how likely am i to be harmed which is perceived uncertainty mm -hmm. and the next question is if i'm harmed how bad's it going to hurt which is perceived vulnerability mm. and so Uncertainty times vulnerability gives us a level of perceived risk. And we each have a threshold of risk that we're comfortable with. And if we go beyond that threshold, we don't trust. If we're beneath it, then we do. And so trust is actually understanding where building trust is an under, understanding where does uncertainty come from? How do I take steps to reduce it? Where does vulnerability come from? How do I take steps to manage that? And so there's this sort of systematic applied approach that I use. And, you know, my sons are 21 and 18 center of my world. And we have amazing conversations and it's because I've used this model with them their whole lives. You know, the, the book that I wrote was about leadership, but the model holds everywhere. And I work with families. I work with, I actually just finished doing some work with a nonprofit that works with kids five and under mm. who are having developmental challenges. Mm. Um, and the goal was to help them build stronger relationships with the parents, with the families, so that they could do their work. Um, so for me, starting to rebuild trust or helping people understand how to build trust is, in its essence, giving them a playbook so that they see, you know, here's where uncertainty comes from. And it, it comes from us as individuals, and it comes from the context we're embedded in. And so to the extent that I'm able to communicate to you who I am and what I'm about and, and what I care about, I'm able to reduce your uncertainty. To the extent I'm able to explain my context, I'm also, I also make it easier for you to predict how I'm going to act. And, you know, I worked with a leader who, uh, she's a great leader, and her organization measured trust levels and said it was really important. Um, and her score was 13 out of 100. Wow. And and so they asked, asked me to come in and have some conversations with her. And I did a bit of coaching, showed her the model, talked it through with her. But then I shared the model with her team. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, here's, here's four of the levers. For us as individuals, it's benevolence. So do you have my best interest at heart? Integrity, 
Do I follow through on my promises and do my actions line up with my values? Ability, do I have the competence to do what I say I'm going to do? And the context. How, how am I constrained? How can I explain that to you? And so I broke down that portion of the model, those four levers. Mm-hmm. And I said, how can she pull those levers? How can she show you that she's benevolent? What would that look like? What's the conversation that you could have? What, does, what are the promises that the organization's making and either following through on or not? What, is, what are the promises that she's making? What's a good boss look like? You've had good and bad bosses in the past. What does excellence look like? And so we include them in that definition. Three months later, they redid the survey. She went from 13 to 80. And so, uh, and now she's at 100. She's part of a, a larger group that went through training that I had developed. And their scores are through the roof. Um, and they said, it's about having a shared vocabulary. Yeah. A lexicon. Yeah. 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 Because it's so much easier for me to say to you, you know, hey, uh, benevolence is really important. And rather than saying, do you trust me? I can say, do you think I have your best interest at heart? And how could I show you that? What does success look like for you, Henry? And how do I help you get there? Mm-hmm. That's one of the questions I asked before we started, right? What's a good guess look like? That's right. Because I was thinking about you and your and your listeners. And so what I do is I walk people through, these are the different levers we can pull. And now how do we pull them? So I give them templates. You know, if we think about benevolence, when I work with families, I'll ask them who here has their kid's best interest at heart. And all the hands go up because of course they do. Right. When I flip that question and say, how many of your kids would say that? It's about a third Mm. and it's somewhat hesitant. And so if it's not obvious in a place where it's supposed to be obvious, then how do we do that as leaders, as colleagues, as, as partners in a marriage, how do we, how do we show benevolence in a way that it really lands? Because one of the other challenges I run into is I'll run these things by by people and they'll go, well, I do all that. You know, I show benevolence, I show integrity. I've, I've got ability. And I'll say, says who? Right. Cause it's one thing if I tell you I've got those things, Henry, but it's another thing if you actually believe them. That's right. And so it's about having it land. And, and so I, I walk people through systematically. Here's what benevolence is. Here's how it works. Here's some questions you can ask. Here's a conversation that you can start that will allow you to actually surface this and include the other party so that it's not just you thinking that you're benevolent. So they're actually interpreting your actions that way. And that, that lays a, a path of, of trustworthiness, you know, yeah. my grandmother always used to say, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Right. You right. can't make the world trustworthy, but you can be trustworthy. You can build that in yourself and reflect it out into the world, which effortlessly automatically gives permission to everyone who's a witness to you yeah, to do the same on their terms for themselves. Right. And, the, 
what I try to do is help people close the gap between how much they should be trusted and how much they actually are. I try to help them communicate more effectively. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. You know, you're talking about people skills. These are the things that that differentiate leaders from being just okay to being exceptional. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that allow entrepreneurs to find traction and get people to support their goals and objectives and ideals. Hiring and promotions are trust decisions. Yeah. Right? And so if you're looking for a job or you want to get promoted, it's all about trust. And we can be intentional about how we build it. It's a skill that we can all learn to get better at. And I still learn at an incredible rate, even after, you know, it's been 20 years since I wrote my thesis, Mm -hmm. Uh, 23 years, 24 years. And um, I've been applying these concepts aggressively since 2003 um, when I started Trust Unlimited. And you know, I still learn every time I'm with a client. There's still growth and, and evolution. And so each of us can can learn and grow and get better at building our relationships with other people. Sure. I mean, anytime we want to learn a new skill or to elevate our proficiency, we go and find a master, whether it's Chinese cuisine, or whether it's a foreign language or a sport or a musical instrument, we have to go and find someone who can help us elevate our skill level, right? Well, it's it's no different for life skills. It's no different. And there are experts out in the world, listeners, uh, that, that you can turn to people who have written books that you're able to, you know, sort of use as a tool, uh, people who you can work with uh, independently of, of the book uh, yeah. on a one-to-one basis or businesses that can work with an expert in the field of, of in this case, trust. Um, something that I, I have been wanting to ask you about, because I think, again, I want to reiterate that trust is the foundation of every relationship. Right. Is the conversation about philanthropy. Okay. And where trust fits into that whole broad picture of what philanthropy is, what it means, how to raise the trust level in an organization uh, case in point, for the past year, I've been working with a young man, 28 years old, in Uganda. Mm-hmm. And he has single-handedly 
rescued and adopted 33 vulnerable children from, wow. from the slums of Kampala. And most of them are living in the countryside with his mom. There are eight of them that are still in the city who have to finish their schooling before they can all move out to the country. Right. And he's a farmer and he has a plan to build self-sufficiency through agriculture and and develop an, an independent residential school for these children to give them the best foundation in a family environment with benevolence and care. Yeah. And such a beautiful and viable vision. And I've been mentoring him daily for the past right. And when it comes to philanthropy, especially uh, with organizations that are Africa-based, um, there's very little trust yeah. in, you know, that, that people's uh, uh, gift will not be abused or uh, used in a different way than it's intended. There's a lot of corruption out there. Right. Where does the conversation of trust uh, come into, in your experience, uh, the world of philanthropy and how do you build trust in, in this kind of a scenario? Right. And so the the challenge that we see a lot of times is is that there are a lot of good causes. Yeah. There's a lot of need in the world and it it seems to be growing as the disparity between the haves and the have-nots that that gap seems to keep widening. Um and so this is a a problem that nonprofits and charitable organizations run into all the time. Mm -hmm. Is how do we convince others of the positive impact that we want to have? How do we convince them that this is the place for them to lean in rather than somewhere else. Okay. And part of it is around creating the right story. And you're, you're right. There are, so part of the context, when I was helping the Canadian military, trying to rebuild trust with the locals in Afghanistan, mm -hmm. um, we ran into this same problem. The context is so different than ours. Right. And so we don't understand it very well. And there's just a different set of rules. And so, in part, what we need to do is, is to be able to explain what the rules are, explain how we're constrained. In places like Afghanistan and parts of Africa, there isn't a strong central government. And so contracts are hard to write. They're harder to enforce. Um, people are more relationship-based. Right. So there are formal and informal elements of of our context formal and informal elements of social control yeah. that constrain us and to the extent we're able to build strong formal constraints it eases people's concerns because it it means that there's less uncertainty with these informal constraints which is what's more at play in places like africa or places where the infrastructure seems to have broken down, then it's really a case of how do we start introducing them to the right people so that those people can get to know them so that they can have conversations so that these stories can start to be more prevalent. Um, 
you know, it, it, it's a case of being able to pull all the different levers. And when uncertainty is high, the range of vulnerability we can tolerate is fairly low. And so as our relationships evolve and grow, the uncertainty starts to go down, the range of vulnerability we can tolerate starts to grow. And so what might be helpful in early stages in a place like the one you exam you give the example of is how can people have a small level of vulnerability to start to see that there's a positive impact yeah. and so that they can then check in on it and start to have it, their concerns dealt with, their uncertainty starts to reduce. They start to get comfortable with a bigger and bigger ask. Does that help? Well, sure. I mean, this is just one example in a, in a, in a, a vast ocean of need, as you as you yeah. you know. I, I this podcast supports the Lost Travelers Club that I started with my son, which is a support system for parents who are who have outlived their children. And oh. you know, again, here's a vulnerability. And this, this is, I wish we had three hours to talk about this, Daryl, because we have throughout written history left no stone unturned in order for humanity to not be vulnerable. Right. We have worked so hard to not be vulnerable that we... Right. Trust that our electricity is going to come on when you turn the switch, that you're, right? That you're going to have hot water, that you're going to have the loop, you know? But then there are, like you say, there are contexts and there are perspectives out there in the world. The gesture is the same in the skill building. Right. And if you, you could be trading stocks on Wall Street or you can be trading a handful of eggs for a handful of rice. And it's still the same gesture, right? Right. Just, but the context is different. And that storytelling part of it i think is key that's why yeah. I love podcasting because it allows me to share stories with experts around the world in ways that hopefully can be helpful to other people universally yeah um, well we interpret the world through stories yeah and and our choices around what story we choose right do yeah. we choose a positive constructive story and when i run into people in conflict you know, I, I one of the downsides of writing a doctoral thesis on building trust in hostile environments is people keep sending you to hostile environments. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I find myself sitting with, with executives who are struggling to get along. And what I'll do is I'll sit with them independently and I'll say, tell me about your story. Tell me how we got here. And then I'll go to the second one and I'll say, tell me your story. Tell me how we got here. And then I bring them together and I say, okay, person one, tell me person two's story. And it forces them to have a level of empathy, a level of understanding. It forces them to think about that other person, what their perspective might be. And it's part of the journey of helping them develop a shared story. A bu building a bridge and finding yeah. the common ground. Because it's there, people. It's it really is. there. It is yeah. This is one of the things that I love about theater and art in general, is that it forms that bridge. Right. It allows people to ask the right questions and to tell their stories in a way that others can, in a safe environment, right? They can trust that it's not a dangerous situation. Yeah. That they can have that bridge 
formed and 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 bring the best theater that I that I've ever experienced and hopefully as a director elicit is the one that leaves the audience with more questions than they had when they came in. Right. And a different, maybe a slightly different perspective on the world, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So I, that's what I did with, you know, did with the book. That's what I, I've got a masterclass that I have that's mm. uh, available on my website where, where it walks people through these things and it uses role plays and exercises and all these things to try to get them to actually apply the concepts. Because that's, that's the important piece for me is part of this journey has been learning, okay, I understand it and I'm able to help people work through it and, and ask conversations, but how do I help other people walk away with those skills? Right. And for me, that's the important piece. It's about helping them change behavior patterns so that their lives become better. And, you know, the, the, the experience I've had, you know, the, working with, so many different audiences and, and folks has been powerful. You know, I, I was working with a dad who um, he was in my class in Luxembourg when I was teaching in Luxembourg and I get my students to apply the model. That's their final project. Right. And so we work through and there's a series of conversations they have, but their last project is you're going to apply the model to a relationship in your life. Mm. Well, he chose his sons who were five and three at the time. And he said, we're estranged. He said, you know, I've been working in Brazil most of their lives. When I get home, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I get frustrated. I get angry. They're scared of me. They don't, I don't think they like me. I think the relationship's broken forever. And so I started working with him and coaching him and showed him the model and talked him through. Here's, here's how you have a conversation with your with your young sons about benevolence. Here's how you have a conversation with them about integrity. Here's how you have a conversation with them about what's a good dad look like to you. And three months later, he writes his final report and he said, complete change. They, they run to me. They throw themselves on me. They fight over who gets to sit next to me at dinner. I said, I can't tell you what a big transformation this has been in my life. And so I'm, dropping grains of sand like that into the ocean. And what I need is for folks like you and your listeners to come alongside and pick up great big rocks yes, so that we can create this huge wave to counter this sort of decline we're seeing in trust levels around the world by being more understanding, more informed about what trust is and how it works and how to build it. And also to move those boulders out of the path of the next generation that are coming up behind us. Yeah, we have a responsibility as role models, as people who have always uh, those of us in the parenting generation, whether or not you have parent children or not. Yeah, young eyes are upon you, and your countenance changes when you are aware of that. When you're right. aware that people are are watching, young people, children, and up are watching you for how to be in the world. Yeah. The way that you cross a room, the way that you enter a room, the words that you choose yeah. to, to put out into the world as a frequency, it all changes. And and I really believe, Daryl, that, that the foundation of it all is the ability to tell your own story, is studying your own biography, becoming a yeah. expert 
in your story. Because when you impart your story, other people will automatically, unconsciously, find where the connections are right. so we can relate to one another. On well, one and right? it's a good thing to practice as well, Henry, because I can tell a profoundly negative story about myself. Right. You know, I can tell a profoundly positive story about myself. Right. And there are different stories I tell in different places because I'm trying to connect with other human beings. That's right. And so I'm trying to find ways that we connect, find linkages, find common ground. Hey, are you like me, always looking for ways to make a positive impact in the world? Well, then join me in sponsoring Desire Child Care Organization, we are a legally incorporated, fully volunteer-based organization in Uganda, committed to providing essential needs, holistic arts-based education, and a safe family environment to 33 vulnerable children, ages two to 14. Your monthly sponsorship can help improve the lives of these kids toward a better future. Desire Childcare is different from any other charity I know because well, we have zero administrative overhead. Every penny goes to the kids. And we have a plan toward self-sufficiency through agriculture. So support is temporary. It's kind of like a, a leg up. Visit desirechildcare.org to learn more and get involved. Let's empower and inspire the Desire Kids together. Thanks. You were asking me about young people. The reason trust levels are so low right now, I told you that it's uncertainty times vulnerability gives us a level of perceived risk. Right. Our vulnerability hasn't gone down, right. but brother, our uncertainty is bouncing all over the place. The rules are changing really fast. Technology is advancing. We're having yeah. pandemics. Yeah. We're seeing changes in norms and values. AI. AI, social media, right? Yeah. So our relationships are a mile wide and an inch deep. Mm -hmm. And and so the rules are changing faster than we can explain them. And so that provokes this profound level of uncertainty, That's right. which means that we really struggle to be vulnerable. And that's why we're seeing these levels of anxiety and depression and feelings of isolation. Yeah. We're struggling to connect with each other as human beings. Yeah. And we're we can all, fix that. We're all lost travelers. We are, and but we can fix it. it was about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do believe, like, I, I believe that, that it's fixable, but it is going to take a paradigm shift, and it is going to take a, a, a lexicon, a global lexicon, so that we all understand the language that we're speaking. Yeah. And, um, I will definitely be putting a link to your book and your website in the description uh, yeah, so the people can find you, take your master class, and benefit from from these incredible tools. That you know, again, we are all learning. We all have these. That's why we resonate with them. It's just about raising your proficiency in the ones that you know, only you know. Right. You need to raise that proficiency because you you lack. Right. Yeah. Part of the thing that made our conversation richer today is our willingness to be vulnerable with each other. Mm. 
right? Sure. And and that allows us to connect at a different level. And in part, I'm blessed because I wander the world with Drake and people want to help. Yes. I wish everyone could have that experience because people are actually kind and caring and loving. Not all of them, right? And Drake's a, a great sort of screen for me. People who right. want to connect with Drake are people I want to connect with. They're sensitive. The dogs are sensitive to it. Yeah. They will help you. They will get you out of a situation real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about trust. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I make sure. Stanley with my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I do explain to Drake every time we come to a crosswalk that I was not involved in the decision to have him neutered. Um, <laughs> that happened before he got to me. I'd have had a different, I'd have had a different message for, for him, but <laughs> but yeah he he helps me navigate the world and and it creates an experience for me of people wanting to be helpful people wanting to engage and and me wanting to help them as well and this is what i love about the theater this is my other career right yeah um and it's the same with singing there there's always a trepidation right you hear people say i could never get up on a stage and do that i could never sing right but when you look at you peel away the surf the surface you see that it is tied to our human experience this fear of vulnerability and yeah. it comes from our most ancient ancestors being naked and vulnerable in the savanna yeah wherever they were um humanity sang before it ever spoke and i know a lot of actors who feel a lot of trepidation about being naked on stage right what's that about well guess what when you are in your vulnerable state which being unclothed in front of others that you're right. vulnerable to all kinds of attack Right. Verbally and physically, but also singing, which is your natural state as a human being. The voice box is designed for singing, not for speech. We right. imposed speech on our physicality when we moved away from the equator. So okay. singing is trepidatious for a lot of people because it is their natural state and therefore makes them vulnerable. So we have right. been working since the first people to solve the vulnerability problem when we've been, I, in my opinion, maybe you'll agree. We've been working too hard at that. Well, and there's, there's lots of conversation around us being more vulnerable. Right. And I think part of the challenge we're facing right now is that uncertainty is so high. Yeah. We're having a hard time having honest conversations right now because we're worried about the reaction that other people are going to have. That's right. And when I talk about this work with, you know, I, I had the interesting experience of being on a, and I'm going to be doing this later today, working with a group called WITI, Women in Technology International. Mm. And there was someone who was, who was from the left end of the political spectrum, maybe slightly off the left end. And there was someone from the right end of the political spectrum. They were both in the same virtual room. And I start talking about trust and its importance and how we can think about it. And they start raising different topics and issues. And we start, we talk through it. And at the end I said, okay, 
So my aspiration is for us to be able to actually have conversations. How'd we do? And the two people sort of from the polar end said, that was amazing. And so we, we were actually able to have this conversation. And I find this fairly often that, you know, I get thrown into environments where things are challenging. We're able to have conversations and it makes the world a better place. Greetings, greetings, greetings. I'm Queen B. Divine. The cure is conversation. And where can you find me? At bluntreflections.com, where I will be talking to guests from around the world that not only share their time, but their insights and their tips on how they became the best version of who they were meant to be. So if you're looking for a great story and a great time, check me out at bluntreflections.com. The cure is conversation. And remember, blase, blase means to tell your story. (laughs) Balance, pain mitigation, range of motion, athletic performance, focus, memory, immune system support, and REM level of sleep All this and more made possible affordably with no pharmaceuticals, no injections, or invasive treatments. Just socks, insoles, and patches made stronger with the tactile patterning of Vox Life products. Scientifically proven to work and guaranteed. Now in the USA, Canada, and the UK, Visit www.diandinkmeyer.voxlife.com. That's Vox, V-O-X-X, life. You'll be glad you did. With every challenge comes an opportunity. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, and, and that's the aspiration. Henry is to make the world a better place. Yeah. For everybody. I think everybody knows that. I agree. Well, there may be a few people who are in pretty good shape right now or pretty happy <laughs> with how things are. Are but, they uh, really though? Do you trust that? <laughs> I I don't know. You know, it's funny because you're right. I think that if we were living in their shoes, there would be a great deal of anxiety and stress and pressure. Um yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that the the more complicated we make our lives, the more uh, it it creates the space for fear and uncertainty and vulnerability. I hear so many people who are very much up in arms about uh, data collection. Right. Right. They don't buy a, a new smartphone because they don't trust that the microphone isn't going to be on. Right. And and their their information is going to be collected and stored and used against them. That's the state of the world. It is. It's generational, and I also think that there are differences in the way that uh, different genders handle uh, the, this time of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a complex, very layered picture, but I also. Believe that the solution is right at our fingertips. It is so close and and available and accessible. Yeah, and solvable. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And and that's part of the 
you know, it's the mission that we should all have is how do we figure out how to dig ourselves out of the hole that we're in? You know, we're, we're faced with some complex problems, things like climate change, things like race relations, international disputes, um, disputes between gender and religion and ethnicity and all of these things. And for us to solve those problems, those complex problems, we need to have collective collaborative action. We need to pull together. And, you know, I don't think it's enough for one group to sit and point at another group and say, this is your fault. You need to fix it. It's, this is our problem. We need to fix it. And how do we get there? And so part of the challenge for me is figuring out how to help us collaborate more, how to figure out how to reduce our uncertainty a bit. And I, I've tried during our conversation to, to show benevolence, to show integrity, to show ability, to build trust with your audience by explaining part of my context um, so that they feel more comfortable saying, you know what? Maybe I will take a look at his website. Maybe I'll, because the passion isn't about just selling books. It's about people actually, you know, listening to the podcast and changing behavior, reading the book and changing the way that they approach the world. It's permission giving. That's really, permission is a powerful thing. And for those of us that are in this work, just to be able to sit here and agree with one another and say, this is in our experience we see that the solution is there and possible absolutely that that is permission giving to anyone yeah. else who's listening yeah. i could i could talk with you for hours and hours we'll have to come back for a part two sometime and i do want sure. to stay in touch with you because i do feel like there are there are levels and layers that our work very much connects on i agree uh, henry I would love to uh, end this with your question for the next episode co-host. Okay. And so I'm wondering what the next co-host does on a daily basis to make the world a better place. Um, I feel like I try to do that every day. I try to be mindful of it. And thoughtful about it, intentional about it. And so I think that's a provocative question for all of us. And that that doesn't have to be the the global world. It could be your your home, it could yeah. be your neighborhood, it could be your town or village, your city, your state, your country, and it'll grow exponentially from there. I started writing on LinkedIn about acts of benevolence. Mm, I saw that. And um, I think each of us can think about an act of benevolence that we can engage in. Just doesn't have to be every day. Once a week, once a month, you do something where you, where you are intentionally thinking, I'm going to try to do something that's in someone else's best interest. How would you define benevolence? It's the belief that you got my best interest at heart. And that you'll act in my best interest, even if it's not in your own short-term best interest. So um, I I try to share as much as I can. I want people to walk away from this podcast feeling like there's things that they can do tomorrow. 
to have a conversation with someone. Um, and I believe that that's an act of benevolence on both our parts. We're trying to make the world a better place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and feel free listeners to leave comments or, or questions, uh, in the the podcast wherever you happen to be reaching it or uh, on social media um because we are here to be helpers in the world and absolutely there are a lot of lost people out there right now and if folks want to reach out to me they can just email me daryl at trustunlimited.com wonderful or check out my website you can see that uh in the about section there's a picture of drake my guide dog he's the director of goodness the dog <laughs> I love that. May I steal that, please? You can absolutely. Good. Yes. I think every company Family should have a director employees. of goodness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, brother, it's been an awesome hour with you and I'm excited for more. And uh let's let's keep working at this. Let's keep uh helping make this world as bad as good as it can be, the best it can be. I know it's possible. I know it's there. I agree, Henry. Thank you for the time. Thank you for your work. You've been listening to season four of the Lost Traveler podcast with Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at henryallen.org. Thank you to my guests and thank you for tuning in. Let's keep striving for a better world together. Together.